Welcome to List Off. I'm Ozzy. And I'm Nat. And this week we will be counting down our top five robots. And what do we mean by robots? I have meant that to mean. I don't know what your definition is. I've meant that to be robots, cyborgs, mechanical men or women, machine people, um, that sort of thing. I don't know if there's anything that that might be a kind of on the fence kind of is it or isn't it a robot on your list? I, I think, think I've got a few. I think you've got to use common sense about how many parts of your body you need replacing with robotic parts to become a robot like is darth vader a robot you know like i, I think like yeah i feel like you've got to have like have you got to have a robot brain to be a robot i don't know i've i've given it a very lax uh interpretation of what a robot is but you have to look uh, a bit robot you know you don't have to look a bit robot at all that's not true that's fine we're not you know we're not banning robots or something where you mm -hmm. need a really clear definition of yeah. them we're just, we're just androids they're what they androids. human yeah mandroids yeah i like the word mandroid so do i it's like a manwich <laughs> but, but for androids <laughs> cyborgs um yeah robots you know Repl you know what replicants I mean. replicants um i guess where i might draw the line is when I feel like they're some sort of android, but made out of a more synthetic, a synthesoid, a synthesoid. Let's call them synthesoids. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the, the sort of ones in sci-fi that feel like they're clones somehow. Yeah, not clones. They've got to have a bit of metal in them. I have bit got, of metal. I have got a synthesoid on my list, but I think it's got metal in it. Definitely. Oh, I think that's fine. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. It's very easy. I'm sure like a couple of mine, you could raise an eyebrow at, but I think historically they're good robots. If you know what I mean? Yeah. I'll stand by them. I'll stand by my list. Are you a fan of robots? Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of robots and I thought it was interesting. I thought it was going to be, I know you had some trouble picking out a top five. Mm. Whereas to me, I was like, that's a good robot. That's a good robot. Um, but I don't know, like, so I feel like I'm a robot fan. Um, uh, and probably, yeah, historically, I feel like I'm a robot fan. Uh, but it made me wonder, are you not so much of a robot fan then, Ozzy? I would have, I would have thought you were more of a robot guy. I'm, I'm, I like a robot in a, in a, in a fantastical setting, but I have to admit in the real world, I That's think epic. there's nothing much as scary as robots and a future of robot warfare we're enslaved by robots that's a bad future to me that's like a a scary one and we've already got you know unmanned drones and sure. some of these new robots coming out they're great to watch them doing tricks on youtube but then you think put a gun in its hand or mm -hmm. meld a gun into its hand or put a gun in its nose you know because it's yeah. a robot to do anything then it's a bit more sinister so Yes, I like robots, but I don't want the world to be taken over by them. You don't like them in the real world. Yeah, I guess that's true. You have things like the Terminator, which uh, presupposes a sort of robot warfare of the future. Mm. Although what is good, although we see the scary robots and, you know, doing backflips and things, mm. the robots that are currently being bred for warfare are the ones on Robot Wars. So we probably <laughs> haven't got a lot to worry about just yet. Yeah, I think we're probably if they're if they're who we're actually against. 
we'll probably be all right. Yeah, because Sir Kill a Lot has never actually killed anyone. Yeah, certainly not a lot of people. No. Maybe, I'm sure maybe, maybe we've a got... couple by accident, actually. Craig Charles is probably, he's probably still on our side or whether he'll become, you know, perhaps he will join up with the robots. We don't know. But currently, I think we're safe. We outnumber Unless they've got, they've got, yeah, they've got to advance somewhat yeah. before, before in trouble. So I think we're all right. For now. For now. For now. Let's keep an eye on them. Um, we should give... We should give a shout out to Graham Murphy. I think this is the second oh, list of his, his we've done, but he sent us a long list of lists to add to our long, long list of lists. And uh, yeah, he, he said robots and it was like, yeah, robots is good. We'll do robots. Yeah. Are you going to start us off? My number five are the tripods from the War of the Worlds. Uh, and I think I like them just because I've always found them a very kind of, I was going to say like a cool design, and yet there are various different versions of them. But I think the idea of this sort of uh, Martian tripods, big, huge machines that come down, but written in a like Victorian era, but everything about them always makes me think of like, it's like the future. Mm. It's not, it's not steampunk. It's genuinely like, it's it's written by like a visionary person who seems to imagine sci-fi of a hundred years of the future mm. and um i've always thought they're cool and he's got either legs they 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 ever always tripods are interpreted as having big sort of long legs that stiff kind of like a sort of three-legged attack from mm. from the star wars movies or they're more kind of long tentacle legs always with a big pod on top and there's this sort of huge sort of almost mirrored metallic uh, uh, looking. And I've always found that I really love that book, mainly because of how parochial it is. And I think it's this, it's a great book about London, if you like London, because it's essentially aliens coming in from Woking towards London. And it isn't really until they get to Westminster that they acknowledge that they're in London. And you go, 1897, see? See, that's how London works. Um, and also, it's a great book because it starts off in Woking, where the aliens land. And uh, the main protagonist is in Woking and goes off to London. And he's like, oh, there's like Martians have landed in Woking. And it's just this great thing about the speed of news media now, how everyone in London's like, what's happened? And he's like, there's like Martians in Woking. Yeah. And they're like, no, I don't think so. I think I would have heard about that. And I really like, I really like the book, but I, I thought I'd dig it out. because I thought I'll find a passage from the book where they describe the tripods. And uh, the narrator describes it as, how can I describe it? A monstrous tripod higher than many houses, striding over the young pine trees and smashing them aside in its career. A walking engine of glittering metal striding now across the heather, articulate ropes of steel dangling from it, and the clattering tumult of its passing mingling with the riot of thunder. And I think it's got like it is, it's just it makes a point of sort of describing the metal as being shiny even. And I really like the way that that's interpreted in like the sort of fifties film and in sort of every screen adaptation since they've They've kind of got, they always do it a bit differently. And yet every version of it, there's a really sort of cool sort of fifties version with the kind of pods on top. 
and everything from like this. I just think they're such a cool robot design that whenever I think of big metal men and also like in the War of the Worlds album cover and things, it's like, I don't really like the music, but I always just think, look at them. They're just they're cool. It's just such a cool robot design. Do you, do you think it's it's like that's the ultimate sort of futuristic thing of it is they've gone an alien futuristic and alien they've gone like mm. they've gone mm, well everything on earth basically has two legs or four so an alien yeah. one would have three that's yeah. that's like I like that as such a <laughs> as, as such a vital early bit of sci-fi to be like imagine if there were only three legs it's like something my kids would come up with like you know yeah imagine if you had three ears like, oh, it's confusing i mean in that way yeah i think you're right it's probably a very simplistic thing but i guess it's thinking about i don't know kind of like um industry and machinery and just extrapolating that it's not it's not uh, it's not a story about the future it's about aliens but the idea they're more technologically advanced is done by looking at it and going oh like machinery right yeah and just being like they're what if they're the martians essentially like you know are those cars essentially what, which what, i think is what a, year is it written 1897 right so it's pre you know mo most people are not going to other than railways you know most people are mm. not going to have seen any you know railways and fact factory machines they're not going to have yeah. seen much other machinery and much other moving metal so it's really yeah, it's. I just and I think there's like it's good. It's good historical robot. I think a couple of mine I think are quite good historical robots. And I think for something that's that old, I think it really, it's really lasted. And as a description and as like a, an idea of it, it still works totally as like a. Oh yeah, that works now. As you know, they did that big War of the Worlds film with Tom Cruise a few years ago, hmm. and it still totally works as a an idea for a big robot it's, well, it's not like i'm saying not dated being being invaded by robots really scary mm. really scary. yeah yeah Definitely. yeah that's true that's true that's my number five my number five is the 1951 creation astro boy uh the uh kind of reverse pinocchio he's a he's a little robot boy who wants to become more like a human but he's kind of perfect and he wants to become more more fallible and more more uh emotional and uh yeah human and uh was uh created by uh osama tezuka osama tezuka back in yeah, 1951 and in in manga millions of millions of comic books in japan and then made into tv shows a few times i think there's about three different astro boy tv shows and there's there's even like a recent 3d movie isn't there yeah they did one i think i don't know who made that i think it's got i think it's one of those ones that has a different voice cast in every territory but yeah they, they did try one recently yeah i didn't check that i don't out. know i don't know how well known osama tezuka is to the general public i kind of i don't know what he'd be most famous for certainly astro boy would be one of the things I and i think he I think in America and places where it showed on the TV a lot, then he's, that's definitely what's most famous for. Totally. Yeah. And I think if people think they might not know what Astro Boy is, uh, I'm sure there'll probably be a picture showing up. But you'll probably go, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. You probably know him without even knowing you know him. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah i i was thinking about astro boy as well but, but it is it's like a human yeah it is it's it's like an android noko as you say asama tazuka also did that thing is it called kimba the white lion yeah which is basically what the lion king was was taking a lot from yeah um, and, it, and astro boy goes goes into the you know if it's you have the same thing with Kurosawa where like they do things influenced by Hollywood and then they in turn influence Hollywood back in the other direction, you know? So Astro Boy, definitely not just a big nod to Pinocchio, but to Disney's Pinocchio, you know, it's, it's got the yes, it's, yeah. it's of that, you know, the, the way he looks and everything. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's fantastic. It's, it's, yeah, it's a kid's show. The, the kind of disco-y theme tune, whether in the Japanese version or the, or the American one is phenomenal really good pumping disco quite early as well for that i think but um that's great and i just love he, he also you know he kind of has super powers sort of thing super robot powers and he's kind of a normal boy but then he end, a robot boy but then he ends up saving people and fighting robots always fighting robots basically and aliens but his his powers are really random i think i've just got a list here of, of wikipedia which is one hundred thousand horsepower strength jet flight high intensity lights in his eyes, adjustable hearing, <laughs> instant language translation, a retractable machine gun in his hips and a high IQ capable of determining if a person is good or evil. And like, that's, that's his best thing. It's like, he can just, you know, in most things with you battling things, there's like a kind of like, are they good? Are they bad? He just kind of, he can, he can know. He just knows and he, he knows and he that... can get his retractable hip machine guns out. <laughs> No, I've got a lot of time for Astro Boy as a concert. I think I, but I think I'm always. Uh, I, I really love the Disney Pinocchio, and I think because of that, I've got a lot of time Pinocchio, who I guess didn't show up in either of our puppets list, but um, I guess he's a fictional puppet. He's the got, others are real. He's also got no strings. So yeah, so I guess he's a really, difficult. He's an ex puppet. Difficult choice. Yeah, yeah. Former puppet. Yeah. But no, I think that's a great choice. I was it 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 would or perhaps should have been on my list. It was one. It was one definitely would have been in my uh, also rounds. His Japanese name is Tetsuon Atomu, which is like most Japanese character names cooler than Astro Boy. I don't know the answer to this, and I don't know if you do. But at the same time, it was one of the ones that was sort of adapted, wasn't it, for kids in the states? So lots of, I guess, in the sixties. So a lot of people kind of grew up with. Astro Boy translated into mm. kind of Saturday morning cartoons in the States. And there was also Marine Boy, wasn't there? But I don't mm. know if that is at all related or unrelated or... Yeah, it's him as well. Marine okay. Boy. It's Tezuka as well. I'm fairly sure. Yeah, it's, it totally is. I think it was um, just like, yeah, you want another hit like that? I've got you. <laughs> got you covered. Marine Boy. My number four is the Tin Man or the Tin Woodman from... Wizard of Oz. And I was sort of going, is, is he a robot? Is he? And I was kind of questioning the kind of legitimacy. But then I thought, but I think he's a real like influence on uh, sort of machine men and robots and things. And I was, I was trying to work out, would he count? Um, and it, when I was looking up researching bits of the Tin Man, there was loads of it I didn't really know about, but it was absolutely fascinating. But the Tin Man was essentially a human man who um, has replaced, has had all bits of himself replaced with metal. And I went, oh, right, well, he is then. 
he's just like um i don't quite know how the mechanics work but he is yeah, a human mechanic. man who has yeah who has uh so unlike TikTok in the wizard of oz who is clockwork so you would say is he more of a mechanical man that's, that's a mechanical in the, that's person the one in return to us yeah yeah i'm a big fan of that one so he's a clockwork man yeah whereas the tin man is replaced but like that's like in doctor who the cybermen are just uh men who have different parts of themselves replaced um the origin of the tin man is that the tin man was in love with a munchkin girl and uh when he was a regular man and in in the regular world cancel him <laughs> it, was, it was a very caring relationship and the tin man's real name is um uh is it nick is it? i had this no no his, his real name is nick chopper <laughs> nick chopper and i thought no way there's no way <laughs> apparently his real name yeah real name nick chopper Nick, Nick Chopper, Chopper sounds like man. he's in a uh, Guy Ritchie film. <laughs> yeah, he does. Or he's sort of like, it sounds like someone's like porn name yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, um, yeah, that's how you, you find your porn name by getting your uh, your uncle's first name and the name of your first bike. <laughs> um, yeah, he was, he was originally in love with a munchkin and the munchkin was like was working for this woman who didn't like that this munchkin was now sort of in love so she got she called on the wicked witch of the east to come and sort it out and the wicked witch of the east cursed nick chopper to essentially <laughs> he had to carry on working he wasn't allowed to stop cutting wood but while he was cutting wood he was he would chop himself to pieces oh my god <laughs> He chopped himself to various, it gets worse. It's weirder than that, but sort of brilliant. He chops himself to pieces whilst also um, trying to keep up his day job. Um, and then he goes to the tinsmith, who's called uh, Q-Clip, who starts going, all right, well, you've cut your arm off. I'm going to make you a tin arm. So he replaces his arm with a tin arm, but then carries on chopping. And then it's like that. He then chops his other arm off. The tinsmith replaces his other arm and he chops his legs off and he replaces his legs. And it keeps going to the point where Nick Chopper chops his own head off and is replaced with a tin head. And, uh, but all this time, the munchkin, who's called Nimi Ami, is still in love with the tin man. This is where it gets sad. Until the tin man chops out his own heart. And that's why he has no heart. And when she realizes that he has no heart, she falls out of love with him and realizes that he can no longer love because he has no heart. And that's why he's searching for the heart. So when he gets his heart back, which again, he gets his heart back. And when he goes back to see her, um, he realizes that she has um, since remarried. And she was now in a relationship with someone who is called uh, Captain Fighter. <laughs> Captain Fighter. She so he goes back to visit the Munchkin girl. Does he get uh, into a fight with him? No, but I think that all the names you realise in the Oz books are very descriptive. Yeah. Uh, Nick Chopper, the woodsman, uh, Captain Fighter, who I think's a soldier. Nimi Ami is now in a relationship, so he, he goes back to find her, 
he's got his heart back. He's got a heart now. So he goes back and she says, oh, well, um, I'm now in a relationship with a captain fighter. But then she tells a story to him about when, when she went to meet captain fighter, she likes captain fighter and the woman she works for still, still working for her goes, all right, well, I'll just do this again. So she calls back the wicked witch from the East and says, oh, Nimi Ami's got another boyfriend. Can you do, do another trick on him? So the Wicked Witch Lee says, well, yeah, same trick probably. Curses him to cut himself apart again. What? So Captain Fighter now starts cutting himself apart, but um, he has magic glue. So rather than he goes back and tries to go back to uh, uh, Q-Clip, the, 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 the tinsmith, and he's like, oh, can you start replacing me as well? So rather than having a second Tin Man, though, they find some magic glue. So Captain Fighter is both part tin but he's also got the glue and and when he lost his own arm by chopping it to pieces they found pieces of the original tin woodsman nick chopper so part of what captain fighter is are the glued remains of the original so when he gets there and he's he's now be called and then he's renamed himself when he's now fully transformed and he's now called chop fit <laughs> chop fit is so now uh, Nimi Ami loves Chopfit, but she's able to say to the Tin Man, "Well, I do love uh, Chopfit, but part of the reason I love him is he is part Tin like you. He is part like you used to be, and he's partly her second love. So there's a sort of it's, it's very bittersweet. It's better. Though, but it's sort it? of still sad, isn't it? It's a but then it means." The Tin Man is still a tragic figure who gets to go, oh, well, I never got the girl, really. That's an amazing story. I think The Wizard of Oz would be really improved by a kind of um, Tin Man prequel in the, yeah. to, to expand the Oz cinematic universe. You know, they've got just the two films. You do Tin Man prequel, and then if that's a hit... Chop fit. No. <laughs> not a chop fit movie but if that's chop a hit fit. you're doing a, to a chop fit disney plus no, series. you're doing a, the cowardly lion movie you're doing the you yeah. know the scarecrow movie but historically i think there's a lot of that like it's interesting you say that about astro boy you think oh well there you go there's a tin man who's a machine man who wants a heart apparently the origin people think is that there was lots of stuff in that era so that's 19 Oh nine, I think, around then, mm -hmm. Wizard of Oz. It's that sort of that. It's that sort of time. Did I write it down? No, it's, it's that sort of time. I think sort of very early nineteen hundreds, and um, and then I think people were saying that at that time you would see lots of political cartoons that were you would have kind of tin looking men and uh, scarecrows, and one would represent, you know, industrialization, mm. and one would represent farmers. Mm. So you'd often have these cartoons that would have a tin man and a scarecrow in them. And that's probably where the idea comes from. But I kind of think again, like the influence on that, as much as it's sort of a simplistic view, is that it does feel like a lot of that stuff, it's a kind of almost fairy tale way of looking at it. But you do feel that that has influenced lots of future robots mm. and even things like wizard of oz it feels like it's quite uh i'm sure it's a big influence on something like star wars and as much as all that those kind of celebrations at the end of achieving their goals and everything all feels very star warsy mm. yeah, and yeah um, and i think the tin man is always one of those you know iconic metal men 
supposedly as well, he is actually made of iron rather than tin. And it was retconned within the thing. And they explained that he's only tin plated, whereas a lot of his joints are iron, which is why he can rust. And you need oiling and everything. Yeah. So otherwise he wouldn't work. So they have explained... I guess that was the kind of, um, you know, the nerds of the day were writing and going, ah, how no is it that uh, the Tin Man can rust? And was so there they like a sort of Wizard of Oz part work for fans to follow up all the kind of like <laughs> technical details behind where they, you I get schematics of chop, chop mix? I quite like I quite like the, but actually when you read it, as the, as the books continue, it does feel like L. Frank Baum is like retconning lots of bits of the story or explaining bits. And it does feel like kids or something have written in and gone, how's this happened? And also, I like that they have given them all proper backstories to explain that they aren't just like, he's not just like a tin man. He's got a proper backstory. Don't worry about that. He's got a proper backstory. And that, so, yeah, apparently he is iron. And when someone said, um, uh, like, they, they one person asked him about it, said, how, how are you rusting then if you made a tin? Um, and he said, uh, there's no plates like tin <laughs> as a kind of little play on words of there's no place like home. Tin man. The more you find out about Tin man, the more you like him. What tragic figure that you don't know. He's got a proper tragic backstory. I'm looking forward to our top five scarecrows and top five lion episodes where we can get the rest of the backstories from you on, uh, on yeah. the characters of Oz. Uh, top five scarecrows. Well, I might be up for that. That's pretty, that's probably some good ones. This, yeah, maybe five. I'm not crazy about scarecrows. I, I reckon we could get five, but our five would both be the same. Just maybe not in the same order. Yeah. <laughs> but I reckon we could do top five scarecrows. I reckon that's a classic episode. 1900, 1900 was the Tin Man. Amazing. What's your number four? My number four is a real robot, like a real life robot. But it's not a Roomba that hoovers all of your room, except for the corners. It's <laughs> it's an it's Atlas, the humanoid robot from Boston Dynamics. Boston Dynamics came from MIT, spun off from MIT, but they're now owned by Hyundai. They were owned by Google for a while. Very much my favorite robot engineers in the real world they've got atlas i don't know if you've seen atlas if you've seen any robots doing like parkour jumping onto things yeah, i think so that's atlas because uh honda's uh rival asimo who's been going longer is rubbish at that stuff it'll be like it'll be like here's atlas jumping doing a back twist you know and landing yeah. on top of a box and then, then they'll be like here's asimo climbing upstairs one of the big humanoid robots that I see about, there's one of them that always looks like he shit himself and he's sort of walking with this sort of that's a, gait. That's, that's, Asimo. That's, that's, Asimo. that's Asimo, right. Asimo okay. has a, uh, a pooed himself walk very much. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yes, he's got this sort of... Ugh. Yeah, his, his bum is yeah. never lifting his bum. He's never standing. Exactly, that's the guy. That's the guy I'm thinking of. No, no, he looks like a, he looks like a spaceman in a classic astronaut suit, but small oh, lovely. and pooey. No, but the, but the Atlas is less humanoid looking but is two legs two arms but can do amazing stuff and um hasn't yet killed anyone so it's good and you've when you watch the videos of atlas you really on any of the robots at um boston dynamics they have like a dog one and a kind of grabber arm one and um 
but you really feel for them because most of the demos include mean handlers pushing them over with sticks and attacking oh, them and that. stuff so that the robots can show off how they're good at self-writing themselves, stabilizing, standing back up, doing flips, dodging out the way, all those kinds of things. So they're constantly being bullied by humans. And I'm worried about this because I've seen like, you know, the matrix and those kind of mm -hmm. things like by oppressing the robots and being mean to them, that's how they develop the, you know, the, sure. the, 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 that's how they get the need to overthrow humans. So I really like what Boston Dynamics are doing, but don't bully them. Exactly. They this might... is Isaac Asimov all over. Exactly. Just try and hang out with them. Don't try and like enslave them. Yeah. Just try and have a nice chat. So they're, they're much more advanced than when I was a kid, there were lots of things from like Tommy. Do you remember those? Yeah. That were like, there was one, um, what was he called? Was it, it was, a, I think there was a really one that was meant to be really good. That was called something like Omnicron or something. Um, was it, it might have been Omni, maybe it's just called Omni Robot even. And he was like, he could do a few things, but he was mainly just like, but his main thing seemed to be that I think you could put like, he could carry a tray and you could probably put like a drink on it or something. Um, Omnicron, was he called? And there was ones that were much cheaper. There was one that you could get that was a very affordable one whose own skill would be like, if he hit a wall, he'd turn a corner. Yeah. Very much to what the, the, the Hoover one is like now. But this was just that that was his thing. Like, it's like, see, I mean, like, I'll just turn if I, uh, uh, and he was cheap. We, 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 we had one of those, um, but there were a few, uh, and they were kind of looked a bit like Rom from the Marvel comics, Rom Space Knight. They had those kind of, it looked a bit like that. Um, and it was white and had the sort of, um, body of like, uh, what I'm thinking almost like a Wally type body. And they were fun. Um, but I guess um, Atlas and Asimo are kind of probably the better versions of... Yeah, of... you can't buy Atlas. Atlas is not available to buy. The dog one is. You can buy the dog one for oh, yeah? business or something, yeah. It's What's like, the dog one do? do it's got like and... four legs. It's very mobile. Mm -hmm. But then it's got like a long, almost like a kind of snake head with a grabber on the end on a long arm. So it's... It's a bit the dog, but a bit of dog. But it's a bit like the thing, dog from the thing. It's a bit scary. Dog it has to be. There's an episode yeah. of Black Mirror with dogs that are a lot like this. So it's definitely got a scary side to it. Um, people you're talking about real, real ones. Do you remember you could get the add-on uh, Rob for the Nintendo Entertainment System, the Family no. Phone, and it like plugged into your Nintendo and did not very much but um <laughs> it's quite beloved of old uh nintendo fans i'm thinking of the um the dog that you used to just get that had the uh the dog toy that could do little barks and then do a backflip and that yep. was its two rolls that was yep. a good uh well it's one toy. Than i've never seen a real dog do a backflip like that no nah. no nah. my number three is R2-D2, a droid from the Star Wars universe. You've maybe seen him. Oh, yeah. He's a little guy. Uh, uh, and I think I'm doing that because they sort of represent all those kind of droid characters in Star Wars and how satisfying that kind of... like that, I think they have robot characters, but there's a whole backstory about them, and you kind of have that 
from straight away as soon as they're introduced they're almost like salvaged and you have this idea that they all have this huge yeah backstories and um you know that they're they're used as slaves but there's lots of them and it has all that you know they can be broken and fixed but they're um you know but they're essentially humanoid and are that you know they're not really they're, they're basically humans aren't they yeah but, but they're ref, they're refused service even in dead-end bars like on in, sure. in dead-end towns hives have become a villainy they still can't get served in a bar so they still can't get served in a bar George. until they uh in the mandalorian where it's quite nice they've done a reversal where the droids now run the bars which yep. is a nice uh very nice shows some progress has happened that's right uh, uh after the empire went down they kind of up the game and go yeah, well, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen star wars you know yeah yeah it comes although back, mainly star wars isn't about you know the, the plot of star wars isn't mainly about licensing laws though so like if it was that would be that would be a bigger spoiler but it's a it's a tiny <laughs> tiny spoiler for yeah. uh for, as star wars spoilers go that's a a teeny tiny one uh but yeah and i find them all very satisfying and i wanted to pick r2d2 certainly over c-3po who although like a very cool looking robot is a fairy like no one likes c-3po no. no no one likes him no um i know people like him i don't like those people um uh but r2d2 is a fairy friendly he's got his job he's stubborn um it shows him in a good light that he's still mates with c-3po because it's like well that, that guy's like an idiot no but, but C- like, c-3po does imply that r2 swears at him quite a lot mm. you know what i mean like we don't know what r2's saying but c-3po does and he's often quite offended so sure but uh r2d2 is still mates with him yeah in a way that we like him and i mean the only reason we kind of tolerate c-3po is via r2d2 right yeah we've um, all got friends like that who've got friends that we have to tolerate yeah, yeah of course yeah exactly mm-hmm. um um and I, I always like that thing where it sort of became a thing afterwards didn't it that um that initially george lucas always said that they were about you know the star wars saga is basically about uh, uh darth vader and the prequels are the story of darth vader turning to the dark side and the the uh chapters four five and six are uh the sort of redemption of the darth vader character and then recently they've gone well it's basically the the main films are all about the skywalkers that's what they're about it's the skywalker saga but in that in between the prequel world george lucas just started saying nah it's about r2d2 and i quite like that where it just sort of switched it to being the most sort of fun character he's like no no he's a main guy because in the first one, and it go, sure, I guess, I guess he's like uh, the main character, <laughs> and it almost does make sense, especially in the original Star Wars. It's all it, you're you're kind of following him, you know. All the events happen because, you know, they miss the uh, they don't get shot up when they uh, uh, jettison themselves at the beginning. You know, it's it's all that, isn't it? And you are following them and their journey, and I quite like the idea that it's basically in r2d2 is the main character in all of star wars love it what is your number three my number three is synthesoid i'm not sure he counts but he's uh, he's he's a robot he's he's uh 
Vision from the Marvel comics. Sure. Uh, I think for sure a robot. Yeah, but he, they call him a synthesoid. And okay. he possesses emotions and he is able to achieve emotional growth, right? I mean, so is Astro Boy. So he's, I guess he's similar, mm. but yeah, he's, uh, he's created by Ultron, who is himself a robot created by uh, Hank Pym. And then Ultron creates vision out of human torch the original human torch from the robot forties, who was a robot made by Mr. Phineas T. Horton, but also the vision is really a reprising of the vision who was an alien character invented by Jack Kirby and Joe Simon for timely comics in 1940. That's what the look is, right? So it's, it's that's really complicated way of coming about. And in the films, He's not made by, he's made by Tony Stark out of his butler. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's bonkers. Yeah. There's some very satisfying way of doing it. I can understand why you do that in the, in the, film. the cinema world. Cause it just yeah, yeah, totally. cuts things out. Doesn't it? I don't have a problem. And, with that. Some, and also I always thought it was a bit neat to do that. And it's, you know, they sort of struck lucky a bit with, Paul Bettany, I think, and you go, oh yeah, I mean that's worked out well. Yeah, like they cast him to just do a voiceover bit, like five minutes voice work, and then he's done like five films and a TV series. No, I was always a big fan of the Vision. I really like, although it's rubbish looking, I really like the kind of uh, that Roy Thomas Avengers Mm. comics that that, you know they come after um, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, and they have. You know, Scarlet Witch and um, Hawkeye and Quicksilver, and uh, along with Captain America, and then they had, then they, yeah, then they introduced the Vision, and he's initially a bad guy, and then you know, because Ultron creates him to be a bad guy, and then the Avengers kind of convince him, like, ah, look, that guy's a wrong and you know, because he's because <laughs> he's capable of gr- emotional the growth. He goes, thought, yeah. oh yeah, you're right, actually, the guy who creates me is a bad, he's a bad guy, just totally bad. So I'll um I'll join you guys, mm. and then he yeah you know gets married to the Scarlet Witch and really has a lot of emotional growth. I, I, I basically I just like how he looks. That's the other thing. I think I like really colorful superheroes, and he's that really is also... colorful. He's you know he's more colorful in the comics than he is in the film. He's like you know yellow, green, and red, but bright. Yeah, I think that's a real strength of it that you do that they he is colorful in a way that robots aren't necessarily colorful they're grays and silvers but yeah. it is that kind of four color comic and when they say it's in full color they need to make sure these robots are in full color so they they really go to town on it and i think it is i think that color scheme really works and is a great look for it i think it's an interesting conversation that you're saying that that it has growth but it's like all the all the robots we're talking about really do have you know they they've kind of got very humanoid or human like lives mm. you know they're not uh they're not just robots and i guess a robot except for azimo and atlas are probably the two exceptions who don't really we hope have any kind of internal thought and logic that's how well, i suppose they must have some sort of logic but like, they don't have they don't have that sort of human emotions i guess yeah. um and to have any connection to a robot guys you need to have some sort of 
human emotional connection i don't know i feel quite strongly about my number one but um yeah the, the, there's another complication with the vision is isn't doesn't he die and then be brought back to life using some of the brain of former avenger wonder man who had yeah. also been the boyfriend of the scarlet witch this is like the tin man all over again so that's what i mean it's like the tin Wan. she's like when she's like you're great you're the vision but you're partly wonder man who is yeah. a rubbish superhero definitely better <laughs> off being part of vision and oh, then no, like, I, later I on, think we wonder disagree that i think wonder man gets brought back to life as well and then they have a kind of you know awkward love triangle much like much like what you were saying about the wizard of oz yeah exactly maybe there's a weird maybe that's what would be the uh the inspiration for it also i guess scarlet witch is also a witch so would have had the powers to oh, there's witches and tin men all over the place yeah it could well have been could well have been for all we know it's the kind of thing that someone like uh one of the creators has copied thinking no one would ever make that connection no i think it's like you said i think it just goes into the kind of common culture perception of... yeah the culture of about robot people and and putting people together bringing people back to life all that kind of thing and it goes way back to to fairy tales and that kind of thing but i think yeah vision the vision for me was always one of my favorite avengers but was never a big character and to see like him be in all the films and be a really essential character and you know have an infinity stone in his forehead and all this kind of thing is just great to me like just yeah it's it's i love it that because there's characters that are huge that i don't much care about like iron man i don't really care you know no but, no one cares they do they love they love iron man people love iron man oh they do now but they i think they now. love him most via the films right? totally but i don't even really like him in the films but i mean like people some people are like that's great i love iron man i'm such a big iron man fan i'm gonna 3d print myself a whole iron man suit and robotize it or whatever i'm like i can't believe the vision gets his own tv show i can't believe it's true you know captain marvel gets the film you know so i love that stuff so yeah vision is a robot i'm very happy to see having his time in the sun yeah my number two is also a marvel comics character it is machine man for whom i've got a t-shirt on um machine man the living robot um and the reason i've sort of going to mention it before was that machine man is essentially the same premise as astro boy he is built by his father abel stark he is aaron aaron stark the machine man he is trying to build sentient robots and every time he does it these sentient robots all end up going mad and uh aaron stark the machine man the living robot or mr machine as he was to begin with um is the original now he's he's the 51st robot to gain sentience and he's able to gain sentience above all the previous 50 models because at that time uh mr machine made his first appearance in uh artist jack kirby's uh spin-off adaptation of 2001 a space odyssey so i think it's in issue eight or nine of 2001 a space odyssey where jack kirby attempts to sequelize the the movie 2001 a space odyssey in a completely 
brilliantly bizarre way that really has very little to do with the movie. It's amazing. And instead is about um, having the black monoliths from 2001 arrive essentially in the Marvel universe and um, end up accelerating human thought and experience within the pages of the Marvel universe. So while Abel Stark, the scientist inventor of these robots, comes across one of the black monoliths from the 2001 A Space Odyssey movie and realizes that through it, he has gained the knowledge to finally create a sentient robot and creates Aaron Stark, who is essentially, again, he's Pinocchio, he's Astro Boy, he's, um, he becomes Abel Stark's son, essentially, and is a human person who has to try and understand the human world, even though he's essentially a robot. And his whole character ever since has been used as someone who struggles between the idea of whether it is better to be a human or a robot. And often, which doesn't say a lot of for us, often finds himself preferring to see himself as a robot than as a human, which is a critique on all of us. Uh, in that sort of way that Jack Kirby's very good at doing these kind of also big, weirdly moral ideas that no one really, uh, like almost like, is it more moral to be a robot and things? And it's like sort of quite mad, very Jack Kirby-ish um, in the way that someone like that, uh, Jack Kirby, I'm sure you mentioned before, basically virtually kind of created most of the Marvel universe, but was an artist, but did a lot of the writing that Stanley gets a lot of the credit for. Um, the other great thing is that it starts off as a uh, Jack Kirby creation. It spins off from uh, the Mr. Machine, becomes the main character in 2001, and eventually becomes has his own series where it's renamed Machine Man for the first time. And Jack Kirby does the first few of them when, it, then, when he's replaced with Steve Ditko. So I've always liked that it goes from a Jack Kirby comic to a Steve Ditko comic. Steve Ditko is the artist of Spider-Man, who's the co-creator of Spider-Man. And then when that series wrapped up, it was written by a guy called Tom DeFalco, who resurrected the character a few years later. And that's where I first saw it. He resurrected the idea. And I, I first saw it when I was a kid, and it was, it was in the back of uh, the UK Transformers comics, where they would show, they would have the first 11 pages would be uh, a reprint of American Transformers comics. And the, the backup strip would be Marvel UK trying to pass off some other robot character as a Transformer <laughs> so that kids wouldn't notice. And they started reprinting an 80s Machine Man series that was by Tom DeFalco. Uh, Bob Layton did the layouts. And it also had like great Barry Windsor Smith artwork. And it was this great, all set in the year 2020, that sort of followed on from the original Last series. Year. The COVID year. Yes. The COVID year, all set in the futuristic 2020 when I was reading it in 1985 or whatever. And it was one of those comics that I really kind of really got me into comics. And I loved the artwork and I loved the sort of design of the future. And it was very much Barry Windsor Smith doing his kind of uh, Mobius kind of French metal law inspired sort of futuristic thing with this old kind of jack kirby creation and so it's almost that he's he's sort of been lucky in that he's always seemed to have these quite visionary creators working on him that always makes his comics 
much more interesting because of it and much more readable. And you could almost kind of amass a whole collection of Machine Man comics and pretty much always have good ones because he's always... And I think I think that's it. I think it's, he's an interesting enough character that he attracts very good creators to work on him. Um, Do they still put stuff out from him? Do they still, does he still... You get stuff every... Yeah, he still turns up and he's often used by because i think he's not like he's a 70s marvel character but he's not even one that's especially popular i think mm. but he's obviously a bit of a i think he's still one of the few characters that feels like a cult character at marvel mm -hmm. so there are always people are always using him and pick him up and put him in other um uh, in other scenarios and he's he's got quite a neat you know that backstory is always kind of quite neat to do stuff with there's sort of endless amount of stories you can do with a you know a pinocchio uh robot character and especially one like i say who has that kind of moral ambiguity about whether whether he is a robot now whether he's a human being or whether he wants to be one or the other and uh you know it's that kind of in that way it's it's a jack kirby thing but it's quite philosophical like you know like i guess like silver surfer and things mm. it's kind of what it means to be uh human and all that it's that kind of it's he's got as a character i've got i haven't read the later ones but i've got the kirby ones um i don't know all of them but i've got a lot and i love that kirby 2001 in a way so although he's a kirby creation he takes some of the look for him i think from the the spacemen in 2001 do you know what i mean he, yeah yeah he, yeah he definitely he does. The, the the look for that so his, his 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 real world parents are like jack kirby and stanley kubrick you know it's like that's an incredible team yeah up. yeah you know that's an incredible yeah. genealogy to have i mean the, the the jack kirby 2001 comic book is a huge huge treasury edition, treasury yeah, edition. Yeah. so it's like you know it's, it's as big as books were when you were a kid but for you now and it's full of crazy space scenes and um photo collage bits and it's amazing yeah. looking total crazy sci-fi and it then, starts off trying to be yeah an adaptation of the movie yeah the comic and if anyone is, likes the movie they should seek out the comic yeah the, it is like th that treasury edition is basically the movie very condensed mm. right and then you get yeah. this ongoing series which just goes all over the place it's literally like jack kirby going what would i like to see after having seen that film and his mind's going mad and he's just like coming out with stuff this is oh yeah that makes me think of this and it goes all over the shop a very long way from where it started and yeah spawns this great character but what an amazing you can't imagine a movie tie-in comic book spawning a whole other direction of travel of thought from some other great creator it just it's just crazy yeah it is it, it generally is a crazy idea but it really it really pays off i think he's a uh, definitely one of my kind of favorite comic book characters my number two is wally the waste allocation load lifter earth class uh star of the uh pixar movie directed by andrew stanton it's it's the 29th century and earth is a wasteland completely abandoned by mankind and covered in rubbish and uh the only waste allocation load lifter earth class still operating on earth trying to clean up the mess is wally and we meet him and he's this fantastic robot character incredibly uh lovable and a sad character lonely on earth with only a cockroach to 
keep them company. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's it's you, on a good day, it's it's the best Pixar film. Like it, it it's mm. it's well up there. And I think Andrew Stanton is. I think he's the best director at Pixar. I don't think that. Not to say that, you know. Uh, Finding Nemo is the best film or whatever, but I I don't think he's done any duds there. I think they're yeah incredible, and he's he's written on all of the good Pixar films basically. It's I don't think Wally is the best Pixar film, but I think it's when Pixar really felt like they're at the height of their powers mm. and what they were doing. Like everything about Wally was like, we're going to get the best people in the world to realize this this character. Yeah. Um, and it's Ben Burt, isn't it? Who did lots of the kind of droids from from the Star Wars as Ben Burt, the, the voice. Ben Burt, the sound designer of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, ET. You know all these classic films. The, the greatest sound designer in my book. I just think, you know, how many other sound designers can you? you I could do a top five. I could do a top twenty Ben Burt sounds. You know, I couldn't do that <laughs> for any other sound designer. I've struggled. You know, like he's he's on another level, and they they got him in to do the. This, the uh, the sounds for Wally, after he said, "I'm not doing any more robots. I'm done. We'll do something else." They got him in to do them, and then he did the voice for Wally himself, modulated his voice and all this kind of stuff. And but I think that's perfect, right? It has such a kind of sense of sort of film history to be like, well, the voice of our robot, the Pixar yeah. robot, will be the guy who's all of the robots. Yeah um so it's sort of perfect it's, it's perfect lovely, casting it's a lovely tribute as well it's just and but the, the film in general has phenomenal sound like every time like a, a spaceship door opens or something it's huge and loud and chunky and oh, it's, it's beautiful yeah. stuff and he's a lovely little robot he looks awkward and ugly and um kind of uh industrial you know really he's not like a sleek a sleek futuristic robot he's a clunky he could be made now you know he's a clunky robot but with so much personality and they do all this personality with just just two moving eyes right like that's all mm. he has is his eyes kind of move not not the eyeball but the eye thing mm -hmm. socket thing moves around and his hands move and that, that you know and he has two little you know tracks to propel him around it's an incredible and yeah i don't necessarily think it's the best pixar film but if you said it's the best pixar film i wouldn't be like no way i'd be like exactly that's cool yeah. um, it's not my favorite but it might be the best it, it, the well. story like it is incredibly be. neat as well he, you know he's, he's he finds accidentally finds you know an example of life on earth natural life returning to earth after humans have wrecked it and that kicks off this whole adventure um it's, uh, yeah i'm not going to say any spoilers because if anyone hasn't seen it they should see it it's like it's, mm. it's easily one of the best kids films made in the last 30 years or whatever it's phenomenal and it takes its sort of inspiration as well from all those kind of 70s movies like silent running with and the robots that are in that i guess mm. Huey, Dewey, and louie and it has this and for something that has this amazing sound design is that it also knows when to be silent and when to make lots of noise God, and the, the first what 10 minutes of the film are almost silent right i mean it's yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a very uh dynamic film pacing wise and 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 sonically like you say like there's huge noisy crazy chase scene bits and then there's bits of extreme 
peace and calm and yes, yeah, brilliant. Cannot fault it. Cannot fault it. Why? My number one is um, the Iron Man, and I guess by its association, the Iron Giant, because I like everything that has come from that book. Um, and I read the book, I think, or the book was read to me, I think, in primary school for the first time. And I think I would have been five or six. Yeah. And I found it mind blowing, that book. And and it's still one of those books I, I kind of, I think back on incredibly fondly. And it was, um, and that, yeah, I remember it being read to us by our primary school teacher. And everything about it, this idea that it's a story about this boy who finds this Iron Man and he uses two nails to tap together to attract uh, to attract it. But the, the, the book, of course, has that thing where he ends up fighting the uh, big space dragon thing, <laughs> at the end, oh, yeah. which is a <laughs> which is a weird thing. And the book is really in two halves, which I find weird. You know, it does have that. You've almost got like that's almost like the second book, the second volume of it. It's quite odd. And so it's really interesting. That book has kind of been with me all through my life, really. Very soon afterwards, that book, I remember it being on Jack and Ori. And at the time, I was kind of, I, I remember having that weird association where there was a book I knew that was on Jack and Ori. So having something else like, it's that thing again. You know, I remember having that weird nostalgia for something that was probably six months earlier, but in that way, you don't really get it. Like, oh my God, the, doing that book that I love, but it's on telly. I could totally remember that Jack and Ori as well. It was, um, I, in my memory, when I was a kid, I thought, who was, I, I thought, it's someone like, I thought, John Pertwee. And when you look it up, it's Tom Baker. And I thought, <laughs> what weird, so I don't even know that I would have known that association at the time. And you go, but also now it's like, God, is that on YouTube? Because I remember it. Like that's, all, that's something I kind of, again, have this total, um, like really sort of strong memory of watching the Jack and Ori of it and it being really kind of dramatic and um, really making an impression. And when I Googled it today, I've seen that, oh, they are on YouTube and it's like, oh, amazing. And also the idea that it is someone like Tom Baker with that voice, you think, well, no wonder, of course it's going to be. Like you can kind of just suddenly in your head play it back and go, Oh, well, of course, that's going to be something. And certainly everything like the concept of who Ted uses is completely Ted Hughes will always be for me. It's the Iron Man guy. Is that the guy who did the Iron Man? It's like everything is filtered through the Iron Man. Rather than being um, like poet laureate. Yeah. Sort of everything is like everything I find out Ted Hughes later. It's always filtered through this idea like, yeah, he did do the Iron Man, though, didn't he? <laughs> like it's yeah. this sort of um, um but also like years later again, like things like the iron giant comes along and which is a cartoon movie from 20 odd years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 1999, the movie came out and it was probably like, I didn't know that in America, the iron man is called the iron giant because of Marvel comics. Yeah. Um, I never knew that. And I think I was like probably halfway through watching the film before the penny dropped. And I went, wait, it's the Iron Man and, and having this, but a completely sort of different version of it, like completely kind of free adaptation, which really adds something to it, which is also like, I really like they've taken this one thing and turned it into something else 
and I love both versions of it. Mm. Um, and again, that's that's Brad Bird who went on to work at Pixar and did The Incredibles and um, yeah. Ratatouille. Um, and again, he just sort of he's someone that's kind of introduced to me via the Iron Giant movie, and he's someone who has a real kind of aesthetic in Hollywood mm. that I really totally buy into. And the Iron Giant is such a kind of sort of sweet, moving, funny movie. And it was made by Warner Brothers Animation. And even though they've done stuff on TV, like the kind of Batman animated series, it almost felt a bit like these guys are so far behind everyone else. Mm. And you sort of realize that I think through that, and I think they, they probably should have tried to cultivate someone like Brad Bird to just do work for them. Yeah. But it was probably like this sort of moment where Warner Brothers suddenly had this thing come out, which was like, could go to toe with anything that disney are putting out and mm. things and it's such a great movie and i think I, I i don't think the movie was a big hit at all and didn't really seem to make the impact that um they thought it would and if anything but i think it seems to have i mean more recently that character i think is showing up in the new space jam movie and was in that ready player one awful movie so he's just um, been subsumed into the warner brothers canon. yeah canon i think and I think now they're using, but now I think they understand there is a power to using that character, which they're currently kind of really um, doing quite poorly, I think. And, <laughs> yeah. and I think that part of the reason is, I, th I think one thing what they what they're using it as is, wow, that's a cool looking robot, which is true, but they sort of forget that the reason people love the film is not because it has a cool looking robot in it, is because you totally invest in this this robot. Yeah. who is again he's in this it's more like in the iron man book the iron man doesn't really have a personality to speak of other than you know he's a friend of the boy whereas in the iron giant you really get a sense that he is a robot who is trying his best to be good and is influenced by all the kind of superman comics that the kid reads and things and is very kind of uh it's it's, it's, it's a very hollywood version of it but in the best possible way that means it, you know. And I think for that reason and that journey that I've long followed those characters, that the Iron Man stroke giant is my number one. What is your number one? No, I just want to ask you a couple more things about the Iron Man. Okay. Have you ever read the sequel? Iron Which Woman? One? No, I haven't. So I have never read it. But I've I never even seen it. I remember it coming out. I assume it's terrible because it came out like early 90s, you know, when I was a kid and I'd read, I'd read or I'd had read to me uh, the Iron Man. And I really, yeah, really liked it. And I can remember my mum reading it to me and the, you know, the pictures I made in my head when she was reading it to me, I still have their, you know, their, their hmm. memory locations and images that just there. And that that's, you know, 30, 36 years ago, 33 years ago, I don't know, something like that. Um, but so I remember it coming out and it being like, yeah, Ted Hughes is doing a sequel to the Iron Man, but it's like about environmental themes, like acid rain or something, you know, but then I've never heard anything about it since. So I guess, I guess it's not a classic, but maybe it just was missed out. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I didn't know that's when it was from. It's something I've, you know, I'm aware of in since. And, um, but yeah, maybe that's why, maybe it was sort of, it was that late. So it was sort of too late for me, but yeah, it's, and I, I've never seen it in the flesh. I've never seen a copy floating around anywhere. 
I'd probably pick it up out of just vague interest. No, I think I think I think that's a great one, and it's a great robot. And to me, like a really mechanical sort of robot. You know, like some robots yeah, yeah. are more electronic, and some are more mechanical. Yeah. Even something older, like the tripods, you know, are kind of quite electronic and like the Iron Man. I guess just by saying it's iron and clunking and huge, but it really feels like a real mechanical monster. Nice monster. Sure. My okay. my my number one has already been on your list. I'm sure you can guess who it is. <laughs> is it R two D? Of course it is. Of course it is. It's R two D two. Um. Uh, I love R two D two. So my favorite thing. I love Star Wars, right? But people go to me. They're not even that good movies, especially the other six or something. I go, yeah, sure, fine. You know, or or people go like, oh, this has got bad acting in them. I'll be like, yeah, sure. Or the dialogues are, yeah, fine, whatever. What I like <laughs> best in Star Wars is the world building and the design, and that's the sound design mm. and the character design, the the technology design and stuff. And R two D two is probably second only to a stormtrooper helmet in the things that i love most design wise in star wars like r2d2 just looks fantastic to me there's loads of droids in the star wars world there, there's some really good ones you know i love a gonk droid i love a droidica in the in the prequels i like that funny one in rogue one you know i like loads of great droids tons of great droids i love a pit droid tons of great droids r2d2 just stands apart the white blue and silver color scheme the way he can walk awkwardly or roll on on three three legs three wheels he can climb up stairs using his one front leg wheel the noises he makes the way his top half rotates like a bin lid you know the light flashes and goes different colors goes blue to red right it has like a, a gel on it and um it has he has all these little bits that can pop out of him you know little screwdrivers little things to interface with computers he can throw a lightsaber out of his head you know he can even do some little electric shocks just he's like a proper swiss army knife of a droid he can do everything you know c3po is a translator <laughs> r2d2 can do absolutely everything except translate you know like c3po can do the one thing that r2d2 can't everything else r2d2 can do <laughs> you know i love him so much like he's the absolute star of the film series his he was owned by queen amidala right mm -hmm. then anakin skywalker yeah and then ends up you know through magical chance aka the force being uh, owned by Luke Skywalker, their son, spoilers. And he does that by scuppering another robot. He's absolutely the star of the films and they hadn't worked out what to do with him in the three sequels, right? So instead of, they just had him switched off in mourning. And then he comes back, switches himself back on. It's genuinely my favorite moment in any of the sequels. I teared up in the cinema when that happened, I don't know if I saw it with you, 
probably hit it if I did if it did but like him <laughs> like him like being reintroduced and, and waking up was like really emotional for me because Kenny Baker who who sits inside him in the original films and the way he kind of wiggles around and operates the lights and the and the spinning thing put give you so much character and then the sound design from the aforementioned Ben Burt you know all these like wiggly noises i'm not going to do an impression because it's, it's nah. beyond human ability but he, he's he, he's got so much character and it's that weird thing that you can do with things the more humanity you take out of something and make it more alien and more robotic and more mm-hmm. weird the more we look for personality sure. in them you know so you're looking at this guy who we can't understand and he just has so much personality so lovable he's the only robot that doesn't get his brain wiped so he knows everything so he knows everything like all the way through the nine films he knows everything that's happened he knows who everybody is when everyone else is like oh i don't think i remember running a droid and you know people are people have forgotten everything he knows everything going all the way through he's 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 the the beating heart of star wars he's a beautiful droid i love it him. really is i think you're right in pointing out that it is a real design classic and it, there aren't really things before it i think that you can point at and say oh it looks a bit like that thing it really does feel like it's kind of come out of nowhere i think there's a lot of it things afterwards great. lots of things yeah loads of things after it look like yeah. it but it is one of those i always loved that thing of like it is funny that the way yeah the, like you're saying it's, it's almost like we we're talking about in the puppet episode yeah the, the almost the less you see, the more personality it has. Or it's almost like sooty or something. Is that thing where like you kind of know what these things are doing? It's a glove puppet. It has that same thing like a good puppet does that you do transfer a lot of. You know what what he's thinking, or you know if he's angry or upset. But nothing's there's no language done. I guess it's that thing like you know like a silent movie star in a way. Yeah, you have to do I, I big think... big big movements and this kind of thing yeah. to, to convey stuff. My thing as a kid, I used to always like when I had the R2-D2 toy, the thing I used to always make sure I did would be to uh, that when I had it moving, I wouldn't just drag it along. I had to, of course, put him at that almost 30 degree angle he's at, because otherwise it's like, no, well, it doesn't go like that. He, he sort of does it. He sort of sticks his um, his little belly out. I've to got go a along. more recent toy here, which uh, exactly is in that pose. The, uh, oh, they do it in there. The the uh, the he's got. There you go. So he can't retract his middle leg there. Okay. Euphemism, but yeah, and he kind of makes a noise. This guy, but it's a bit faint because it's it's like you know twenty five years old. So no, that really is that really needs sort a of new picks battery. Up. Needs a new battery. It's probably an annoying watch battery that I won't be able to find, but. He's yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Is one of the most exciting things for me about the, when the when the prequel films came out in the late nineties, and you know he was in them again. You're like, oh, we were all like, oh, is Han Solo going to be in it? Is Luke Skywalker going to be it? And is Chewbacca going to be it? And the answer was no. But you know, R two D two and C three PO, but R two D two was in it, oh. and he was all shiny and clean, and fresh fresh out the box, looking like a clean pair of trainers. I also like that thing you said about uh, C-3PO, that C-3PO's job is a translator and he does the one thing that R2-D2 can't do. But you go, 
oh yeah that's in, that, that's almost that c3po acts like he's the boss and i'm and actually he only does this one thing so it's almost do you know what i mean it's almost like he's quite protective of he allows c3po to be like the kind of to act like he's the boss whilst actually being kind of the one who's in charge he's the brains and he just does things and c3po has to sort of follow complaining but it's amazing if you watch um hidden fortress isn't it the, the kurosawa film mm -hmm. that the the opening scene in hidden fortress is two kind of peasants picking over the uh dead bodies after a battle of all these samurais and bickering amongst themselves and it's very much like when you see that you very much see the the dynamic between c3po and r2d2 and so that, that that's part of that's that kurosawa dynamic is but to transpose that to two robots who they don't really play the same role i mean they're, they're they're not the narrators really they might they're not really you know and then yeah the design you got to give props to ralph mccrory who did so much of the original star wars designs and and uh, r2d2 was built by peterick engineering which sounds like a sordidly old-fashioned company but it's just I don't know, like it's one of my favorite things. Like that that R2 unit, this destroyed, this thing, this blue and white and silver thing is like one of my favorite made up objects, you know? It's it's I love it. Couldn't be Great anything answer. but that for my top robot. Uh good robots all around. Good choices. Yeah, my five was pretty pretty much my five. The only thing that came close was like a How 9000, How 9000 from, from 2001. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good sort of scary robot, you know, and a fantastic piece of design. Again, the, the red light eye communication thing. Uh, T-Bot from Mask, the Mobile Action Strike Command. T-Bot <laughs> was very much an R2-D2 knockoff. <laughs> and uh pretty rubbish but he was cool because he was a robot that belonged to the little boy I don't think i can remember the boy's name can you remember the boy's name no something tracker because he was matt tracker's son right yeah was he was he scott tracker let's say he was scott tracker anyway if big maximum points to me was matt tracker the one with the mustache no matt tracker was the like blonde boring okay. one who okay. drove a red car um Anyway, T-Bot was like a round robot with bendy arms, like, and, the, and he, but he doubled as a scooter, which was what was cool. So it was like, I've got my pet robot. Yes. It's silly. It's like the comedy relief, comic relief in this, in this kid's cartoon, but he can also be a scooter. And that was quite cool. Um, I had like a few that I thought were Gort from the day the earth stood still. Oh, yeah. Um, that's quite a cool robot. Similarly, I guess Robbie the robot from Forbidden Planet. And I guess you could credit boy. You, you could credit Robbie the robot as being a bit of a R two D two influence visually. He's like yeah, less less so. humanoid, a bit more rounded and dustbin looking. Yeah. Uh, what else do I have? Astro Boy. I almost would have liked to have put the Transformers because I loved those when I was a kid. But the movies have genuinely ruined that for me. I think. If you had to pick one Transformer, which one would it be? I think maybe like Bumblebee or something like that, but again, not the film, the little toy car. Yeah. 
the toys are better than <laughs> the film or the, yeah. or the cartoon. That's why I generally I mean the little toys. I think uh, the one I like best was, I never had it, but is it Starscream? The one with the cassette, cassette in it? Oh, uh, Shockwave. Shockwave. That's the, yeah. that's the one with the cassette. Yeah. That is the cassette. Yeah. Oh, no, there's like the little thingy, I mean, the little... The ones who are the cassette is, uh, what's he called? Ravage, is he called? Maybe. The one that becomes uh, like a, a panther. Yeah. Oh, they were That's cool. They're that pretty was, cool. They were cool robots. Um, what else do I have? A good one, uh, which we haven't mentioned, is Bender from Futurama. That's a really, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A really good, a good robot, robot with a lot of personality. And I reckon would probably come, a, I think it'll be in a lot of people's top five. Yeah, I think if you've got that in top five, that's fine. That's a top, top robot. And, uh, I've been watching a bit of Futurama again because it's on Disney Plus, and I've got that, and it's yeah, it's great, great stuff. I like uh, I like in the Fantastic Four cartoon that they replace the Human Torch with Herbie. I think Herbie's a fun, a fun robot character. I think if you you, you, you no Herbie's rubbish. <laughs> Herbie, it's rubbish having to not have the Human Torch in your cartoon because kids might set themselves on fire. Is just rubbish. Don't make the cartoon. Just don't do it. Herbie's rubbish. I hate Herbie. Uh, no, no, from Ulysses thirty-one. God, that's a throwback. Yep. Uh, there's things like there's lots of cool robots that like you just think, um, oh, they're cool. Like, but I don't really have that association with them. Like, I really like seeing those Voltron robots, but I don't have any association. But I kind of think, oh, that's all cool. Yeah, robots like, that like, will clip like together. Mazinger is cool. Cool robot. I don't really like the Matrix films, but I do mm. like that anime prequel that they made. Oh yeah, yeah. The, was that is that called Rise of the Robots or something like that? Maybe that's yeah. I think it was something. Like I was gonna that. yeah. And it's like the story of how the robots who were oppressed and abused by humans took over, and that's a fantastic, you know, riffing on a lot of already existing uh, robot stories, but um, fantastic visual version of. The robots taking mm. over way better than the matrix films themselves and uh yeah i love a bit of that uh i think the daleks in doctor who are a proper good bit of 60s design that kind of goes above and beyond anything else that they were producing at that time yeah and it, and again like those sort of 60s are, movies are they they robots, made. though oh, don't they have uh, a fleshy well, alien got, in the middle they got a fleshy alien in the middle so i guess they're more like vehicles by, aren't they i guess they are more like vehicles in that regard they're like okay. segways well, then we could do now, I've just realized we could do top five cars and include things that have uh, little alien drivers in. We could finally do our cars. It's cars, but it'll be like things Daleks. that are being driven by. Uh, yeah. Maybe we found a way around doing this. Cars. We should do top five cars where it's just like vehicles. Uh, number five, blue cars. Number four, <laughs> green cars. Number three, black cars. Number two, Silver cars, number one, red cars, Batmobile, something like that. Batmobile. Batmobile. <laughs> Do you think we'll have robots living in our house with us in our lifetime? I know some of you out there will have um, Roombas that already live with you. I've got a small toy robot that my kids play with. It's like they shout at and it comes towards them or something. I don't think we will now because I think the um, I think that's kind of been superseded by having like yeah alexas and things i think people have realized they don't need a robot they just need you know they just need someone to talk to <laughs> I, I think i think we've kind of already done it i could do a robot to like hang out the washing or something 
Yeah, but I also think robots now are like in the world where everyone lives in smaller and smaller places. I think the idea of having something which is the size of another one of you almost feels a bit like I think the world's, um, you know, shrinking living spaces rather than uh, well, you just people buy, in you, big you have houses. to design a robot that like folds itself away into its own cupboard. So you buy the cupboard it's like a jack in the box and it just, you know, once a day comes out gets its toilet brush, cleans all your toilets, hangs out your washing after washing its hands, um, you know, and then folds and then turns into a tape. Into, yeah, turns into a tape that turns into a panther. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Get on that, no, scientist. Turns into a scooter and takes your kids to school. Like <laughs> T-Bot. <laughs> I think we will. I think we'll have crazy robots. Or, but maybe they'll, instead of being like human-sized robots, they'll, it'll be, they'll all be nanotechnology and we'll have like a fleet of like tiny, oh, yeah, sure. tiny weenie robots that like go around and, and they clean the toilet out by like diving in, like, <laughs> and then scrubbing it all yeah. and then, you know. Or like those um, little fishes that sometimes eat the skin off people's feet. You could somehow like bioengineer some uh, robots that like eating shit (laughs) or something. (laughs) Little shit piranhas. (laughs) Little robot shit piranhas. That's what we'll be getting in our toilets. Be careful though, if you fell in. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? If you sat too far down. Yeah, if you had a blockage. And I suppose it'd eat the blockage. Otherwise, you've got to yeah. try and yeah, sort that, that out. Functioned. Yeah, put your hand in there and get eaten by shit oh, brands. <laughs> what, a, what a scary thing. But get on it, scientists. Pull your fingers out. Do your job. Get some uh, little shit eating piranhas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the dream. It's the dream. I see at this very <laughs> moment, Boston Dynamics are like re-planning yeah. their next 10 years of developments don't think it would impress at the like at the robot trade shows you know where they turn up and demonstrate <laughs> a new thing what have you got well we got some shitting piranhas for you <laughs> that's the kind of thing i would turn up for one of those shows where they go who's this guy but yeah. i'd have it like in one of those like uh, a, bags a... you hold like a, uh, a goldfish in let's <laughs> go i got one of these there's yeah, little fish robot it eats shit yeah it's not cool though because hey. it's a robot it's not a real fish where it's cruel to have it in a plastic bag it's a robot. You can't throw me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you'd make them gold, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, you'd of course. Make them look a lot like goldfish, but really they're shit-eating piranhas. Robot yeah. piranhas. Robot piranhas, of course. Shit-eating um, robot piranhas is like that. Sounds like a like snakes on the plane level movie, <laughs> right? That's um, C and T M. Uh, list off, guys. Yeah. So uh, Sharknado. hands off. Sharknado, eat your heart out. We got the we got the next big stupid film. Yeah, or or the next Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Shit eating, <laughs> shit eating robot piranhas. Piranhas. <laughs> Tiny shit eating robot piranhas. I think that's the. <laughs> it's not a very good acronym, so we'll have to work on that. No. Oh, I've taken it. I've taken a turn for the worse. I've made it. I've given it an e-explicit content, I think, now. Yeah. That's all right. If you want to hear more of Nathaniel swearing, you can listen to his regular <laughs> weekly uh, radio show with Nick Helm, Fan Club, on FUBAR Radio. If anything, I'm very much the junior when it comes to swears on that show. No, there's definitely more sweary than we are on here. Um, and uh, they talk about films, but they pretend they talk about other stuff, but they talk about films and they, <laughs> they, they interview people. 
and uh, yeah. it's great. And you probably already know about it because it's much more famous than we are. But uh, if not, yeah, fan club. Is it called, called fan club or Nick and Nat's fan club? It's called Nick and Nat's fan club. It's on all the podcast places. So it's dead yeah. popular than that. Um, but they everything on there is shit eating, not just the piranhas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you like this, please like it places or give us a review or join us on all social media at listoffpod. And why don't you tell us your top five robots? Yeah, to hit us with the ones we obviously missed out that we meant to have or the ones that we didn't mean to have because we don't like them. We hate those robots, but you <laughs> like them. Oh, um, but And just give us more give us more requests because yeah, you know, yeah. it's Much like we've got requests. a long list of ones to do, but they have to be like the right ones at the right moment where we both, we basically, basically we go, should we do this? And then both of us have to go, yeah. That's the criteria, yeah. basically. And that if we don't do that, it doesn't mean you're never going to do that one. But it's got to be like, yeah, for right now. So, so, so give us more. There's some which, like, you think, like, we'll do that, but it's going to take us years to decide. Exactly, yeah. I'm still struggling with um, top five times of the day. That's that's a real mind bender. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to that, Toby. And it changes uh, depending on when you think of it. Yeah, exactly. That's, it, that's the trouble with it. Live very much in the moment or in the future. Yeah. I think about an hour ago, but it doesn't, it's not relative, is it? Anyway. Mm. Yeah. So, so give us some more ideas for stuff and, um, please share any good robot videos with me. I like watching robot, real robot videos. You know, is there someone better than Atlas? I, I like robots. So, so, mm. you know, send, send me some robot videos. I think I almost prefer watching the ones that look like this shit themselves <laughs> than I do. Um, I like the look of that guy who walks around. Like, I, you I know like what he guy. needs? Uh, if he needs some uh, shit, <laughs> tiny, shitty, shitty tiny robot piranhas. Piranhas. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get on it. SMO right out. Come yeah. on, Honda. Get on it. That's the missing link. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> See you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>